Welcome to the Private School Leader Podcast, where private school leaders learn how to thrive and not just survive as they serve and lead their schools. I strongly believe that it is possible to have a long and happy and fulfilling career as a private school leader, and my passion is to help you figure out exactly how to do that right here on the Private School Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Minkus. Have you ever heard this quote? Once you do the impossible, it becomes part of your job description. What about this quote? No good deed goes unpunished. And then one more. Have you heard this one? If you want something done well, ask a busy person. Well, I know I've said all three of those things before. Um, and usually that's after I've been given a task immediately after doing something well and say, well, no good deed goes unpunished. Or once you do the impossible, it becomes part of your job description. And then I've also certainly thought about the thing, the third, <clears throat> excuse me, the third quote, if you want something done well, ask a busy person. But what do these three quotes have in common? Well, these three quotes are all describing performance punishment. And this is something that I've done before and regretted it. And on today's episode of the Private School Leader Podcast, we are going to discuss performance punish punishment. What is performance punishment? Why it could be destroying the morale at your school? The performance punishment cycle? Why is it a problem? What does brain science say about why it happens? What are some of the warning signs that you are engaging in performance punishment and how to avoid it? But before we jump into today's topic, I want to give you a free gift to just say thank you for listening to the podcast. I have created a free guide for you called Five Strategies to Help You Work with Difficult Parents. We know that working with parents is part of the job, and most of our parents are great, but some of them can be pretty difficult. And this guide will give you the tools you need to build better relationships and have better meetings with the difficult parents at your school. So go to the privateschoolleader.com slash parents to grab that guide. And thank you for listening each week. And just as a thank you, go and get five strategies to help you work with difficult parents at the privateschoolleader.com slash parents. So let's jump into this topic of performance punishment by first of all defining it. What is performance punishment? It is the negative consequences that high-performing individuals may face as a result of their exceptional productivity. This can include being given additional tasks or responsibilities, being expected to work longer hours, or being subjected to additional scrutiny or criticism. So, Performance punishment is when someone is a high performer and then they're quote unquote punished with more work and higher responsibility, but usually there's not an increase in pay when that happens. With performance punishment, the tasks are usually recurring tasks that someone else has failed to do well or do on time and are therefore falling into the laps of people who have demonstrated their ability to pull through at the last minute. So I just want you to pause and take that in for a moment. And I had to do some soul searching on this when I was studying performance punishment and had to admit that I've done this over the years, that I've got 
You know, if you want something done well, ask a busy person. There are those people that are standouts in our schools. And we want things done. We want it done well. We want it done quickly. We ask them. And the point of this podcast is that we need to make sure that we're not ruining the morale at our school and also driving those high performers out the door by practicing performance punishment. And it all can seem very counterintuitive at first. And shouldn't the highest performing people be the ones that are given more quote-unquote opportunities? But in a world where most people are stretched too thin as it is, these opportunities become burdens and it's only a matter of time before resentment builds up to a breaking point or burnout occurs. So what I'm getting at there is, is that if we are, as private school leaders, are selling ourselves on, well, it's good, I'm giving them this leadership opportunity, or, you know, let's say it's running student council, or it's planning this field trip, or something along those lines, well, that's a good leadership opportunity for them, it'll look good on their resume, whatever else story we tell ourselves, but are we really giving them more opportunities, or are we just giving them more work? And so I want to talk about the performance punishment cycle. And this is from the Strategic Discipline blog post, and I'll link that in the show notes. And here's how it works. Step one, an employee pulls off the impossible. So let's just say one of your teachers pulls off the impossible. Step two, you doing the impossible becomes expected as the norm. Step three, the teacher feels overwhelmed, frustrated, but they are still compelled to do an excellent job. And then step four, the teacher is asked to do the impossible again and again. And then we go back to step one where that teacher actually pulls off the impossible and the cycle continues and doing the impossible becomes part of their job description. So this vicious cycle of pulling off the impossible, that becoming expected, the teacher feeling overwhelmed and frustrated and not saying anything about it, and then given more to do, and then they pull it off again because they're awesome but then it just keeps going. So that is a very, very dangerous cycle, and we are going to talk about how to break the performance punishment cycle. Another thing I want to do to kind of illuminate this subject is to ask ourselves a a pretty important question. It's actually two questions. And these come from Liz Wiseman. She is the author of the book Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter. And I'll I'll, uh, link that book in the show notes. And Liz Wiseman asks these two questions. How many times when faced with an impending deadline or critical situation, have you called upon that person on your team who can always deliver exactly what you need? And the second question is, in doing so, how often have you also considered that you might be contributing to or hastening their burnout or resignation? So I'll be honest, I'll answer that for myself. The first one, how often have I done it? I've done it a lot of times. And the second question, how often have I considered that I might be contributing to their burnout or resignation? Probably like zero times. So I think that that's a very illuminating question from Liz Wiseman. And we need to also think about um, another thing that, let's just think about this and then we'll move on to um, the next section. Another question from Liz Wiseman, she says, to lead on purpose we must understand how we diminish by accident. And I really want to have you 
listen to that again because I think this might be the most important quote or sentence in this whole podcast episode. Liz Wiseman said, to lead on purpose, we must understand how we diminish by accident. So we're all talking about being intentional with our leadership and so on and so forth, but we really have to focus on what am I doing as a private school leader that is diminishing some of my highest performers by accident? None of us mean to do this. None of us, I really believe that none of us are intentionally overloading our teachers and doing it because we're trying to get away with something or do less work ourselves or whatever. I think we're doing it by accident. But to lead on purpose, we must understand how we diminish by accident. All right. So then why is performance punishment a problem in our schools? In other words, why is it a problem? Why can't we just do it and not really worry about it? Okay. First of all, our high performers get burned out. Second, exhaustion, low productivity, and decreased motivation are the things that are going to happen to our high performers. And they get resentful because they most of the time don't say no. So teachers are very likely not going to say no. Your administrative assistant, other people on your staff, people in your fundraising department, people in your communications team, you give them something to do very likely they're not going to say no. And if it's a normal amount of work that can fit in the normal workday with some um, seasons of uh, extra time outside of work, then great. But if it's performance punishment, then we have a big problem. And probably one of the biggest problems is high performers leave. And then we feel bad after the fact, and hindsight is 2020. Oh man, maybe I shouldn't have loaded that person up with all that stuff. But We don't want them to leave and we don't want them to be miserable. And then the other side of the coin is the low performers. Low performers are then not held accountable, especially if some of these repeatable tasks are given to high performers because the low performers aren't pulling their weight and it doesn't allow them to grow. And it's just that two sides of the coin. We load up a high performer and we don't hold a low performer accountable. And the title of this episode is Performance Punishment Might Be Destroying the Morale at Your School. Well, how is that destroying the morale at your school? Well, just think about it. High achievers get rewarded with more work and low performers don't get asked to do the work. And so the high performer is there working late and and really stretched out um, more so than a typical teacher. And that low performer is leaving five minutes after the bell at the end of the day and um, having dinner with their family. So a huge amount of resentment from your best people towards your lower performers or towards your novice teachers who might be potential high performers but just have not been tasked with responsibility yet because you're, let's face it, with a new teacher, we're trying not to load them up because we want them to have a good first year. And so I've seen it happen where someone that has been loaded up with extra work might have resentment towards a new teacher who isn't loaded up and it has nothing to do with that teacher or their performance. It just has to do with the fact that they're new. And so you've got this resentment towards low performers, but here's the other thing I want you to hear. There's also resentment towards you as the leader because, and I'll just say this for myself, I am not leading effectively if I am loading up my high performers and letting my low performers get away with not doing as much work or doing their work well, not holding them accountable. That's just lazy leadership. 
And so I have to hold myself accountable to that. And this can possibly destroy the morale at your school. And so we're not going to let that happen. But before we get into the uh, warning signs and then what to do about it, I have one more thing that I want to talk about that is kind of an unconscious, subconscious thing that we don't really think about why we're doing this. And that has to do with what does brain science say about why we might be engaging in performance punishment. And I'll break it down into two sections. One is for leaders, why we as private school leaders might be engaging in performance punishment. And then the second part is employees, why they might be um, taking on this work and not speaking up for themselves. So first of all, for the leaders. So an imbalance in assignments often happens when well-meaning supervisors make quick decisions based on unconscious bias. So let's face it, we're busy. We're very, very busy. And so we take shortcuts and shortcuts are unconscious bias. And so we make quick, quick decisions. And so these decisions, there's a thing called the SEEDS model, S-E-E-D-S, the SEEDS model. And I'll link that in the show notes at theprivateschoolleader.com slash episode 30. And SEEDS is an acronym that stands for similarity, expedience, experience, distance, and safety. So I just want to quickly break that down because there's a lot of research to support that well-meaning supervisors make quick decision based on unconscious bias. Well, one of the ways to not do that is to examine the bias that we have. So similarity, why do we, why do we give an imbalance in, in work assignments? This is across all industries. This is not just in education. The first S, the first letter is S, and it's for similarity. I'll give it to the person who shares my view on the subject. So if you have somebody that, again, this is unconscious or subconscious, if you have someone who shares your view on this issue or this um, thing, be it homework or classroom management or something about the sports program or something about um, differentiated instruction or whatever, um, you're more likely to engage that person with more work who shares your view on the subject. So that's the S. The first E is expedience. I'm assuming this person has the most capacity for this task. Um, in other words, expedience obviously is another word for getting it done quickly. So I assume that they have the capacity and they can get it done quickly. The second E is experience. I think that this person did a task like this before. So that goes back to the whole performance punishment cycle. If someone's done something and they've done it well, unconsciously, subconsciously, we have a bias towards asking that person to do it again because they've done it before. And that makes sense. But sometimes the way to overcome our biases is to examine them. And then the D in seeds is distance. This person is already on the phone with me. I'll just ask them. So a lot of that is just proximity. I mean, and that's probably happened. I know that that's happened with me where it'll be, um, I'm already having a conversation with this person. They're right standing right in front of me. And so then I ask them or there's, um, just the geography of where my office is. I'm probably more likely to ask the social studies teacher whose classroom is right next to my office than I am to ask the person whose um, classroom is on a different floor than my office. 
And then the last S in seeds is safety. I don't feel like I can trust anyone else for this task. And so that's us kind of living in our fears a little bit that we have to ask this person because we know that it will be done right. Again, you want something done well, ask a busy person, but it's also you want something done well, you ask the person that you can trust. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of these similarity, expedience, experience, distance, or safety. But if those unconscious biases lead to us piling work on the same two or three people at our school, then we are setting ourselves up for lower morale and for that person burning out and then us feeling bad after the fact and after they leave and it was preventable if we were more proactive um, in the future, in the present or in the past. So um, that's leadership. Um, that's brain science as it relates to the leaders and then quickly brain science as it relates to the employees. And so at first the teacher or staff member may seem eager and be seem present really excited when you ask them to take on a difficult assignment. And part of that is because when they are asked to do something, it's a little bit of a compliment. And then when they do it, they feel good and you get the feel good chemicals of dopamine and serotonin flowing in the brain. And then there's a little bit of a status reward signal. And we there's also that empathy that most or almost all teachers have where they want to take care of the tribe. They want to be collegial. They see that they're doing it for the kids. They're a team player, all those kinds of things. And so those are all unconscious reasons why someone at first would be excited to take on a difficult task. And that's the tricky part for us as leaders is sometimes we'll ask and we'll give a lot of thought to asking and then we're surprised at how eager and excited they are and how quickly they say yes. And I haven't even mentioned the whole, you know, power authority um, employer employee dynamic where an employee feels like they're um, obligated to say yes. Um, but there's that in there too. So, um, but it is a little tricky for us as leaders because we asked them again the second and the third time because they had such a positive reaction the first time. And then the second thing with employees is, is that when your teacher realizes that they are still grinding away on this extra work and a low performing coworker is at home enjoying dinner with their family, that fight or flight response to protect themselves is always stronger than the feel good hormones of dopamine and serotonin. And so when it shifts, and that's the thing is, is it's sort of an invisible shift. We're asking people to do stuff and at first they're excited and then they're not. And when does that happen? Well, it happens when they start to realize that others are not doing the same thing. And this is all things being equal if they're not being paid extra or if it's just like a, a token. I mean, if someone's, if there's a stipend and someone's being paid extra to stay after work an hour every day and then they're bent out of shape because someone's leaving on time, then that's not valid. But it is valid when we are asking people to do things um, that we're not asking other people to do. And so that fight or flight response is stronger than dopamine and serotonin. And then that starts to have a negative impact on the employee. So that's the brain science behind it. And then finally, before we get into the strategies to um, not do this to our people, is the last thing are, what are some warning signs that you may be engaging in performance punishment? 
Number one, you don't think twice about asking your top people to take on extra work regularly. Number two, your high performers wear a chronically fatigued look and the coffee is set on intravenous drip. Number three, you send and get emails from your high performers in the wee hours of the night and early in the morning, and it's about work. And number five, they have way too many vacation hours that are unused. So those come from a blog post from a LinkedIn article that I've linked in the show notes, but those are some warning signs that you might be engaging in performance punishment. And so now we come to probably the most important part of the episode, and that is how to avoid it how to avoid performance punishment at your school. So, so far, you've, we've defined it. We've talked about the performance punishment cycle. We've talked about how it can impact morale. And we've talked about how it could cause our best people to kind of burn out and leave. And so I think we're all in agreement that this is a problem or something that if it's not a problem in your school, it could become a problem and we don't want that. So let's get into how to avoid it. Number one, acknowledge that this has to stop if you want to keep your good people. So you just acknowledge that, you know, it's, it, let's face it, for me, sometimes it's just easy to go to my high performers and be like, hey, can you do this? And every once in a while, that's okay. Um... I'm not saying that you should never ask a high performer for help with something. There are times when I'm just completely slammed and drowning in the deep end of the pool and I need some help. And so I go and I ask for some help. There's nothing wrong with that. This is more about a pattern than it is about a one-off. And so we have to really have an honest, um, just acknowledge that this has to stop if we want to keep our good people. And then the second thing that we want to do is take an inventory of the workload of our high performers. Just take an honest look at the workload of your high performers. How much are they actually doing in addition to their teaching schedule or in addition to their typical job responsibilities? Number three, stop piling on the projects. Your high performers may not feel comfortable telling you that it's too much. She's thinking, or he's thinking subconsciously, of course, hey, I'm a high performer. I can handle it. Or the boss needs my help. I can't turn him down. And so, again, we just have to pause and assess and then really think about whether or not we can give this project to this person. And then that really leads to number four, which I think is one of the most important, and that is have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with this person, your high performer. Find out how they are really doing. Ask them sincerely if the workload is too much. Pre-call it by saying, like, no is an acceptable answer, or for them to just try to really set the stage for them to be as honest as possible. Are they getting enough time at home? Where do they want to be in five years? Um, do they see that these tasks are helping them with their professional growth? Um, it's There's a lot of questions there, but it's stuff that we really need to know about our best employees because, let's face it, we want to keep them. We want to grow them. They can have a huge impact in our school, and we don't want to just inadvertently burn them out with tasks that actually someone else could be doing. 
And that brings us to number five, which is recognize that your low performers will never grow this way. And I'm speaking for myself here. There have been many times where I just avoid the discomfort of holding a low performer accountable to do the certain things. And it's easier to ask someone else that I know will get the job done. And so our low performers are never going to become high performers if we just leave them there, don't hold them accountable, and don't give them the things to do that will help them grow. Number six, consider paying a stipend for the extra work. And this is a different situation for every school based on your enrollment and your budget, but there are extra things that are important for retention and for um, recruitment. And so, for example, having a sports team, and you've got coaches that are probably teachers, having student council, having a spring musical, a lot of different things that keep kids or bring kids to the school, and they are worth paying money. I know different schools, my first school, we didn't do stipends. My current school, we do stipends. Um, I know of another school that I have interactions with the the head of school there and they're very small and they can't afford to do stipends. So it's just different for everybody, but consider paying a stipend for extra work, even if it's small. And then number seven, invest in their professional development. No one, most people, I shouldn't say no one, most people don't mind working hard if they know they are appreciated and valued. And nothing says you are important like the opportunity to learn new skills and grow in advance in their career. But if you're piling on the work on your high performers and it's low value tasks, then the last thing that they have time to do is self-professional development, self-growth. And so if you see a high performer and you really want them to grow and stick around and at your school, then do all the things that I just mentioned, but also ask them, um, how would you, what, talk to them about their professional development and invest in that professional development. So just a quick review on those. Number one, acknowledge that this has to stop if you want to keep your good people. Number two, take an inventory of the workload of your high performers. Number three, stop piling on the projects. Number four, have a heart-to-heart conversation with them. Number five, recognize that your low performers will never grow this way. Number six, consider paying a stipend for the extra work. And number seven, invest in their professional development. So what are the big takeaways from today's episode? Well, performance punishment is the negative consequence that high-performing individuals may face as a result of their exceptional productivity. This can include being given additional tasks or responsibilities, being expected to work longer hours, or being subjected to additional scrutiny or criticism. So that's what performance punishment is. And performance punishment might be destroying the morale at your school. High achievers get rewarded with more work. Low performers don't get asked. There's huge resentment from your best people toward the low performers or towards the new teachers. And then there's resentment toward you as the leader as well. So we don't want to do that. We want to do the seven things that I just mentioned that are the strategies for avoiding performance punishment in our schools. We also know why it's a problem, because high performers get burned out. There's exhaustion, low productivity, and decreased motivation on the part of the high performer. They get resentful, 
they get burnt out and then sometimes they leave. And then as leaders, we're not holding our low performers accountable or giving them tasks that will help them grow. And our high performers will rarely speak up for themselves or say no. And so our call to action this week, take some time in the next week and think about your top two performers in your school. And then ask yourself this question, am I engaging in performance punishment? So your call to action is sometime in the next week, think about your top two performers and ask yourself the question, am I engaging in performance punishment? So let's wrap it up. I hope you got value from this episode. I wanted to remind you that there are a bunch of free resources for you over at the privateschoolleader.com slash resources, plug and play PDs you can use with your staff. There's also guides on how to protect your school from a lawsuit, how to be a better leader. And there's uh, just another resource that I want to remind you about that I mentioned at the top of the podcast episode, and that is a free guide called Five Strategies to Help You Work with Difficult Parents. And you can get that at theprivateschoolleader.com slash parents. And it is a guide that will give you the tools you need to build better relationships and have better meetings with the most difficult parents at your school. And if you're getting value from this podcast, I would love to hear from you. My email address is mark.o.minkus at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K dot O dot M-I-N-K-U-S at gmail.com. Let me know if you're using a new strategy that you heard on the podcast, or let me know what is your biggest pain point right now. Just email me at mark.o.minkus at gmail.com. So be sure to subscribe. You can get the show notes for today's episode at theprivateschoolleader.com slash episode 30. New episode comes out every week on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. And I'd love for you to share this with another leader or an aspiring leader at your school to just send them the link to this podcast and hopefully they will get value as well. And I've been your host, Mark Minkus. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate the work that you're doing and how busy you are. And that's why I very much appreciate you taking some of your precious time to join me here today and listen to this episode. And I will see you next time on the Private School Leader Podcast. And until then, always remember to serve first, lead second, and make a difference.